Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Yak Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Yak Gadget offers all kinds of storage accessories, quick mount motor mounts, anchor systems, track mounted accessories, even paddles. Go to yakgadget.com and get your kayak decked out for your next trip out on the water. The 153 Bait Company, based in Troy, Ohio, make everything from plastics to custom painted hard baits. Hook them hard and hook them off. All of our baits are made to order and all of our hard baits are hand painted to order. So go to the153anglers.com to place your order today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. Welcome to the Feather and Fur segment on the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. Join me, Brad Hurlibus, as we sit around the campfire with this week's special guest to talk hunting, dogs, traditions, and all things outdoors. Welcome back, everyone, to the Feather and Fur podcast. Again, I'm Brad Hurlbus, your host for the evening. And tonight we have our guest, Leanne Austinson. She is a pretty avid outdoors woman, chasing deer, upland birds, big into the waterfall, not waterfall hunting, I'm sorry, ice fishing, and pretty much all around outdoors woman. So we're going to bring her in right away. Hey, Leanne, how are you? I'm good, Brad. How are you? I am wonderful. It felt like spring today. I know, 62 degrees. For everyone out there, we're both in Wisconsin and we've both been going through, I don't know, I'd call it green grass withdrawal by now. I mean, we both ice fish, but eventually the ice fishing gets old. <laughs> At least for me. At least for me. I know you're more into the ice fishing than I am, but... I event I get to this point now where I'm like I'm ready for green grass I'm ready for open water I got turkeys on my mind. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, the sooner it warms up, the quicker I'm out in the woods looking for mushrooms or getting ready for turkey hunting. So I'm ready for it. I love ice fishing, but the spring is much appreciated. Come fall, I'm like thinking, man, I'm ready to get out on the hard water. And by like middle of the hard water season, I'm like, you know, I'm done with this. Like I had this all worked up huge in my head and I'm just like, it's going to be a great season and it's always a good season. But then it's like, man, I just want open water again. Yeah. Aren't we? We're so lucky in Wisconsin that there's really no time to rest. There's always something to do or get ready for. So I just one thing I really do enjoy about this state is we get all four seasons. I mean, we get a true spring, summer, fall and winter. When I was living in California, I mean, to have the grass be brown in the middle of summer was weird. It is just a weird experience, like only having two seasons, which was pretty much hot and cool. Yeah, except our clothing bill is a little bit higher because you need 20 wardrobes. But This is true. This is true. You do need clothing for all four seasons, but you're not paying for the weather here like you do in California. I think we're still cheaper. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. I know what I paid out there. We're cheaper. Yeah. So Plus, what you have cool friends back here, so that's what matters. I do, and it's and and there's way more public land, and there's some cool hunting opportunities out in California. It's not all doom and gloom like some people say, like other things. I mean, they got pintails out there like you wouldn't believe. They got pintails like our mallards, wow. which is if you're a duck hunter, it's like yeah, like that's a that was a bucket list bird for me, and I spent an entire season chasing it. And to hear them out there when I was out there talking about it, and they're like, oh, we shoot those like you guys shoot mallards. I'm like, what? Like, that's not fair. So let's get started. Like, what, what, where did you start in hunting? What got you into hunting? Was it a late onset as an adult or did you start as a kid? I actually started really young as a kid. Um, interestingly enough, my mom and my grandma and my aunt all hunted. So along with all my uncles and everyone else in the family, because that's the Wisconsin tradition. But my family always kind of did a girls against the guys contest. So it was pretty natural for my mom having three daughters that a couple of us would enjoy hunting. So I remember the first time I went out hunting with my mom, um, you know, I would always go with as a kid and, you know, try to jump deer and things like that. But my, my very first year actually going and carrying an Ithaca deer slayer out in the woods, it was, um, it's a memory I will never forget. Uh, it's, it's interesting when, you know, people talk about, well, how old should kids be to be able to hunt? Um, I kind of have my mindset that 12 was a good age. Uh, but I also believe that it depends on how much people teach kids how to handle a gun. Sure. So I remember this story. It's just so clear in my head. I'm almost 40 years old and I can still picture this and I still get trembly thinking about it, but I didn't have a lot of experience handling a gun at that time. Um, I was always you know, I was on the sideline. I was the kid doing the walking and going through all the slashings and all the hard crap. Sure, you're driving. You're the driver. Yeah. So finally, I get to have the gun. And um, 
I just remember loading the gun and and not remembering which way the safety went. And I knew well enough, oh, well, don't ever point a gun at a person, you know? Sure. But as a kid, it was like, well, the best way to really check it is to pull the trigger, you know? And I, I had that gun facing away from anybody, but I pulled that trigger and that gun flew out of my hand. The buttstock hit the, the truck. Um, and I think my mom and I both just stood there like, oh my God, what just happened? You know? Sure. Um, and I'm well, even shaky right now telling you this story. It's not a story I really talk about. Um, but I felt like today being able to just give this podcast, it's something to be vigilant about. And, you know, I don't care how old a kid is as long as they get the proper field training. Sure. Don't ever sure. think, make assumptions that somebody knows this, especially when at that age, I mean, that button, I mean, gosh, it looks the same either way, you know? I'm, right. I mean, it absolutely, especially if you're using an old hand-me-down gun that the red might've worn off. Or, yep. I mean, absolutely. Like a 60-year-old Ithaca deer slayer, maybe? Right. Something like yeah. along those lines. That might not even have had red on it back in the day. I don't know. I wasn't around in those times. Yeah. So after, you know, we, I calmed my nerves and mom and I talked and like, I just thank God today that it didn't hit her, you know? Right. Right. Um, you know, then we go into the woods and I'm still nervous. And my family's kind of interesting when it comes to the females who hunt. It's like, we have to prove all the men wrong. Like, my mom never walked me out to my deer stand. My uncles never did. My grandma never did. I had to walk by myself. And I don't care who you are. When it's dark out in the morning, it's scary. Um, the woods can be creepy. I'll agree. I mean, I remember it was probably five years ago-ish now. And we were up, uh, Steve and I, you've met Steve, um, a friend of ours that I, he's who I've done deer camp with for the past, I don't even know how many years. We were out there in the big woods, in the big north woods, and you could hear the wolves hollowing. Yeah. And they weren't far away. And even at, and I was in my 20s at the time, and I'm the hair on the back of my neck stood up. And it's like, the, the, this is creepy. So at 12, because I was a late onset hunter, I didn't start hunting until I was in my 20s. I can't imagine walking through the woods, pitch black, oh, dark 30 at 12. Yeah, you learned never to lose your mag light. And <laughs> I learned how to use a compass at a very young age. Um, and those are things that I are, they're so valuable as an adult. I mean, I, I ran into some guy hunting some public property last year and the guy told me he got lost out there. Well, it runs along I-94. Like, how do you get lost? It's so loud. <laughs> I was like, okay, but... Um, so yeah, I grew up then I would go up north with my mom and my grandma and my aunts and we'd all hunt together and it was just camaraderie. It was time with the family. It was fun competition with the guys and, uh, you know, we'd call them over a lot of times just to have lunch, but I'll tell you what, if we got a deer, grandma and mom and I, we, we figured out how to get it out. The guys didn't come and do it. Um, I will say grandma usually did it. I didn't learn how to gut a deer out until my buddy Brad on this call taught me. So, 
I, 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 I don't know if I've ever told anyone this, at least in the podcast. I, I have a rule. It's real simple. I'll teach. I'll show you the first one. I'll do it myself. I'll walk you through it step by step. The second one is on you. I did the same thing with you. I mean, so the first one, I'll show everyone step by step. I'll do it for them with them standing right there. And I think you even recorded it, if I remember I did. right. And I watched that video like five times. And then the second time it's on you, but I'll be right there with you and I'll help you. I mean, I'll go hands in if I need to, but the whole point of the second one is you've seen this once before, it's time for you to jump in and do it. So that way they're part of that's just learning by doing it. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, and the trick is a, a sharp knife. It, that is a sharp, that is a very true. Um, I remember when you did your second deer, that was part of your problem is just you didn't have a sharp enough knife and you were struggling. But as soon as I let you use my knife, it, you, you were good. Like yeah. just a little bit of suggestion here or there, try it this way. But you got through that second deer real quick. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, I'll be there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Thanks to my friend. Hey, gotta help. You know, gotta well, gotta mentor. Well, and that's one of the things I miss the most is, you know, I live in Madison now. So where I used to hunt is it's four and a half hours away from here. And my uncles have gotten older and my mom doesn't hunt and grandma's gone. So now it's, you know, planning new traditions with new friends. And, uh, you know, when you hunt with your family forever, there's like a code of ethics, you know, right. you just, you know, here I am talking about being an idiot 12 year old who, you know, shot the gun. Well, my family was always really just strong about making sure who you hunt with and that they're safe people and they're smart hunters. Um, so a lot of times right now I'm, I'm learning about finding new friends that I feel comfortable with hunting. And a lot sure. of times, I just go by myself. Yeah, it's easier that way when you don't have to worry about anyone else. You don't have to worry if anybody else is safe. You just go on your own. But going on your own, then you don't really get to blend those traditions, which is kind of cool. Because, I mean, you grew, up, you grew up hunting. Obviously, all the females in your family hunted along with the men. So you have to very mixed traditions right there alone. Because I'm sure you all had your slight unique variances on how you did things. But now, like, if you brought that to a deer camp, which I'm trying to plan a deer camp possibly for us next year. Yeah. Now you're going to bring your traditions to deer camp along with my tradition. And we're going to have this melting pot of traditions from dating how all the way back to your grandpa. Steve's going to bring tradition back from his grandparents. I mean, you're going to have all these traditions come forward where we're going to, I wouldn't say pick and choose, but we're going to blend them into our own traditions moving forward. Definitely. I just have one rule. Wooden tree stands, we that's a no-go. I don't <laughs> want to fall through another one of those. So wait, hold up. You fell through a wooden tree stand. Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I also was not the skinniest child when I was deer hunting. Um, in fact, I'll just give you a picture. Do you remember the old Ford Rangers? You know, they had the little cab in the back. Oh, yeah, the little jump seat back there. Oh, yeah. But I was like a 250-pound, like, 12-year-old. I was big. Um, and then you put the big snowman blaze orange suit on, and, you know, sure. you, got like, you got the Michelin man squeezed back in there. <laughs> so 
I decide one time, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go hunt by myself. One of our buddies had property up there and he said I could sit on one of his stands. And I even asked him because I was conscious of my weight back then. And I was like, well, is it going to hold me? Because it was raining out. And he's like, oh, sure, it'll hold you. Well, thankfully, I was smart enough not to load my gun first. And I'm crawling up this damn tree. And I get to the second last from the top. And I go barreling through this thing. Um, yeah, so I spent the rest of the day camped out on the ground, just hanging out by the tree. I wasn't hurt or anything. Sure. I'll tell you what, I won't step foot in another wooden tree stand ever again. Yeah, I don't blame you there. I mean, I know for I know you hunt from a ground quite a bit now. I mean, you have a tree stand, but I feel like since I've known you, you prefer to hunt from the ground. Is that to be closer? Is that because of that? Is that kind of part of it where you don't like where that wooden tree stand kind of scarred you a little? You know, it's funny because I bought those, oh, the Hawk Helium steps or whatever climbing sticks and they're awesome but i'm i'm just nervous to use anything like that anymore and i miss being up in a tree because you can see so much sure hunting from the ground it's safe and it's a little bit warmer but there is a lot of that fear especially when you when i hunt alone a lot all the time um i have the best lineman's belt out out there and everything but yeah, it's it's not that easy hiking your butt up into a tree. It's not. And you hunt public. You don't have any private land. You're a public land hunter. Mm-hmm. So that means every time you're and, and down in southern Wisconsin, we're not allowed to leave tree stands up during season. We have to take them down each and every night. Right. Northern Wisconsin, you can leave tree stands, which would make life easier because then you could put up a ladder stand. But down here, you don't have that option. Down here, we're setting tree stands up and taking them down. So uh, hang-ons are probably more popular for the people I know just because you have more tree options, but hang-ons take more work and they have take a little more coordination because you are using that lineman's belt and you're strapping the steps on. But then the, you get the disadvantages of the climber where you got to find them straight trees and those work great in some areas where you have, we have these old pines that are super straight and tall, but you just, I, don't, I never can find enough good trees for the climber where you don't have enough branches not in your way. So this was kind of my first year deciding I'm going to use these sticks or a climber or whatever. And you're right. When you hunt from the ground, you don't ever look to see how crooked trees are around (laughs) you until you're trying to find one that's in the perfect trail. Yeah, it's about impossible. Pretty much. Yep, I would agree with that. But I will say, hiking all that stuff in and out, it does deter, you know, your fair weather hunter from doing it very true which is a good thing and it's also like the best weight loss program anybody could ever have (laughs) i know that first week going out i'm in so much pain and all of a sudden after that i'm in the best shape well yeah i mean you're carrying all that extra weight with you and i know you went you had a pretty long hunt on trying trying to find the right backpack for you. I remember talking to you about this. Like you went through backpack after backpack after backpack, trying to find the perfect Leanne backpack. It's a good thing Coles has that Amazon return window. (laughs) Yeah, only five of them. Only five of them. Yeah, if anybody wants to make some money, you could probably build some decent women's material for hunting. I know there's people who are trying, but... You, you need to use models from Wisconsin, preferably Dane County, maybe, you know, Major Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> maybe 
Leanne Austinson. Maybe, maybe she, maybe I know a model that would you like to try on some new hunting female clothing tailored to her specifically. Yeah. Anyone out there? Anyone looking? Anyone? <laughs> but yeah, I know we have a picture here. We'll share this picture. This is you and I actually. Um, I honestly can't remember where this was taken though. That's out by Duck Creek. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Was this the weekend you got you got that deer, or because you shot a buck out there? Yeah. Nope. This was the year later. So okay. this is um kind of my my karma about public land hunting. So the year before, Brad kind of helped me find a spot, and um, I ended up getting there and I was there pretty early but there was another hunter already in there so instead of you know going in there super early with my flashlight and screwing up this guy's hunt who he had gotten there rightfully so before me I sat and I waited in my truck I mean I wasn't gonna it wasn't that big of a deal I was drinking coffee and enjoying the morning but I figured this he was gonna come out eventually so at about, I'd say 9.30, he got cold and he walked out to his truck and him and I had a chat and he ate a sandwich and a half hour later, we both walked in together and, you know, made sure we knew where each other was going to be sitting so that we would be safe. Sure. Um, which is, which just says a lot for someone on public land. I mean, it's it, that just says a lot like on how the cunning community can take care of it, take care of their own. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, it, it got to be about four o'clock. We only had about 20 minutes left to shooting time. And I ended up getting a shot at a nice little six pointer and I hit it and was able to track where it went. And this gentleman actually helped me walk all my gear back to the truck. Um, and at that point I had called my buddy, Brad, to help me. <laughs> but that guy ended up staying there and walking back in with Brad and I and helping us drag this deer out. Like it he was, was just, a, I don't remember his name, but he was a, he was a, he was a fine gentleman. Put it that way. I mean, yeah, I mean, and I just think that's good karma. Like I didn't go in there and mess up his hunt in the early morning and, and I just think that that's the way we all should hunt public, you know, just help each other out. And right. so that was a great experience out there. But then the following year, because, you know, now it's my spot and I love it. I go out there and I'm the first one there. And then four knuckleheads roll in after me and decide the, the to hunt the field, the fence line right behind me and they're aiming right at me. So that didn't really last very long. And then the following day where that picture is from, I went to another side of that creek area. And in that evening, I had bullets flying at my head. So it just kind of, you know. Yeah, public land can be different. I mean, public land, there it, it can be crowded in certain spots. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> People get excited and don't necessarily pay as much attention as they absolutely should. Yeah, the crazy thing was, is I never saw what that person was shooting at, which is, I mean, and they whizzed right over that whistle. When you hear it, you know, you're a little too close for comfort. And, but that's public land hunting. 
Yeah, like that is why you don't. I mean, I'll up north in the big woods where you can spread out more, but down this area, I tend to shy away. And if I was going to go back to really being into deer hunting, I'd focus hard on archery down here, yeah. which I know you kind of got more into last year as well. Because yeah, that man, was another um, public land. I have a lot of public land stories. Well, so that's I, a good thing. I bought these, you know, the really cool tacticams, the reveals that were so popular. I mind you, I've never used trail cams before this because I didn't want to be reminded of what was out there. So I decided to just go big and sure. get, get, you know, the the cellular ones that send you the picture right away. Well, I was getting some really great pictures of nice bucks, and all of a sudden. I'm not getting any more pictures and I, I didn't know what happened. I thought maybe the batteries died. Well, I go out there and somebody stole um, both of my SD cards out of my cameras, which it was kind of a bummer. Um, but he was also, camera. yeah, he didn't steal the camera, which I, I did have a lock on the camera, but not where you could open the SD card. Sure. But there was somebody hunting out there the day I went out there. And I was like, you know what? It might be him. So I packed my 45 and I went in there singing Whistling Dixie because I was like, well, if you're going to be, a, you know, a jerk, then. Right. But the one I will say I learned something really cool about that is that it was about 160 acres worth. And he found both my trail cams. So I must have been doing something right with where I picked. Sure. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I mean, it must have been on intersecting trails that he also looked at was like, this probably is a good spot. Now, I don't understand why people can't just leave their hands off things because it is legal in Wisconsin to put trail cameras on public land. Uh, just to state that out there, because I don't know other states might not be legal, but in Wisconsin, it is legal legal to use trail cameras on public land. So that kind of comes to the sporting part of if it's not yours, don't touch it. Yeah. You know, it was really neat to get those pictures, but I will say, you know, that there's all that debate out there, right? Well, are you a traditional bow hunter or are you a crossbow hunter, all of this? Well, I, to me, what's the big deal if someone's using a crossbow, but a traditional hunter's using a regular bow and 20, you know, cell cams? It's, there's an advantage in whatever you're using to some degree. Uh, oh, absolutely. There is. Um, I, I, I take it back. I mean, to me, it's as simple. If it's legal, it's fine. I think too many people confuse their moral compass and what they believe is ethical in their own right. And then try to enforce that on other people where at the end of the day, if it is a legal means of hunting, we should support that hunter. It's that simple in my mind. It's not our place to judge another hunter or the means which they choose to take their quarry, their animal, as long as it is ethically a clean kill as fast as and humanely as possible. To me, if it's within the law, it's perfectly fine. And I think a lot of people just confuse what they consider ethic with what they're, what they call ethics is really what they believe is sporting and sporting and ethics and morals are not the same thing. Right. Sorry, this is a tangent of mine. I was actually just talking to someone else about this earlier. So, um, Hey, I started the tangent. So it's okay. <laughs> um, no, the cell cams were really cool because it was neat to see those pictures, but 
I'll tell you, when you work full time, <laughs> it's really not that cool because you're just reminded of how much you can't be out there. Right. Oh, there goes that 10 pointer again while I'm sitting behind my desk. <laughs> it almost makes it worse, to be honest. Yeah, but it's also got to give you something to look forward to. Yeah. And then I know fall was also pretty big this year because I believe this was the first year you hunted behind your own dog. Yes, I did. Behind my own boxer, of all things, the newest bird dog breed out there, folks. I was just going to share that picture. Um, Leanne hunts behind a non-traditional dog. Um, Leanne, I took Leanne woodcock hunting uh, once or twice behind my griff. And um, she decided, and I told her, I'm like, hey, more paws on the ground is a good thing, especially when it comes to woodcock or, or pheasant or anything like that, especially if it's a flushing dog. So I'm like, bring your dog. She's not gun shy. It's not going to hurt anything as long as he stays within range. Yeah. And that kind of led you to doing some training and, and getting having a non-traditional bird dog. Yeah, I don't know if we could, if he can have the title bird dog, but he's, he's pretty good. I mean, he's, he, he stays within range. He actually does not flush. He kind of points, he pseudo points, <laughs> um, but he's, he doesn't run away. He's not really gun shy. In fact, I kind of trained him on guns because I would watch, you know, hunting shows. So I would turn the surround sound up really loud and have those gunshots going off. And he just, he sits and watches them with him, with me. Uh, Cause that was the number one thing everybody had told me like, well, it'll be okay if he doesn't run away from the gun. And he did, he did awesome. Like he, he doesn't even need a GPS or anything on him. I, he comes back when I tell him to, uh, granted now he's not the world's best bird dog. I will just say that, but he listens to me and it's better than going alone. And he's super cute and it's comfortable. Well, you're hunting behind your own dog. I mean, that says everything like to me as a bird hunter and that's my passion especially upland bird hunting. That's my passion. I love watching a dog work. I love watching my dog work. Now, granted, I love watching good dogs work because there's just something special about dog work. But even if your dog isn't the greatest dog in the world, but he's performing to a level that makes you happy, that's all that matters at the end of the day. I mean, if he's staying within range, if he's helping you take birds, like, well, there's a pheasant in this picture. So he obviously did something right here. Um, if he's helping you find the birds and you're at the end of the day, you're holding a bird and he didn't run off and he stayed within range and there's nothing more you can ask for. Yeah. Especially when you live in a 700 square foot house and he's only three years old. Right. I mean, there's nothing wrong. There's not, I mean, I do want to see him retrieve with those short little jaws. Like he's got that. I, I used to have boxers growing up that short little jaw. I want to see him put a big old bird in his mouth. I want to see how that works out for him. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think it's really great that you were able to utilize your boxer and get him trained and get him in the field um, and help you harvest pheasants. And I know you've, I know you got a couple of woodcocks this season as well. If I remember correctly, I know I have a picture here. Yeah. We're going to share right now of you with a woodcock. And was he along for the woodcock hunt? He was. In fact, that's kind of when I learned that he was more of a pointing dog because 
he just all of a sudden I actually got ahead of him and he would not, he would not come to me. Sure. And I was like, well, why the, why aren't you listening to me here? I'm talking about how great he is. So I turn around and I start walking towards him and there goes one. Nice. <laughs> so he was like, he taught me that I need to listen to him and not the other way around. That's I learned that a long time ago. Like you got, you have to trust your dog. I mean, especially like with my lab and even, even, even Pippa, my Griff, but with my lab, I mean, if he got birdie and he was going off a different direction, I learned that just because I think the cover looks better to the left. If he's on a hot bird scent, why would I take him off of that? Because I think something looks better. And, I, and nine times out of 10, he found a bird where, where I wanted him to go after that. There wasn't a bird there. Yeah. It's, it's just so neat how, instinctual it is for for them and how i thought oh i'll just keep going yeah woodcock is a fun little bird to chase i mean if you're if you're out there and you're not familiar with it it's a small little woodland migratory bird um they're not real big when i say small it's way smaller than a duck smaller than a grouse smaller than a pheasant um but they migrate from canada south and they like a more moist soil wet Air, not standing water wet, but they like a more moist soil in the timber. They like thicker, they like thick stuff too. Don't get me wrong. Like when you're in there, you're breaking brush. There's no doubt about it. But it's this great little upland bird that holds super tight in the woods. It's excellent for dog work. And they act, and they give you a far better sporting chance of shooting one compared to a grouse. As when they take off, they, a lot of times they kind of go up before they go out where a grouse is like, I'm going to stay 10 feet off the ground for 40 yards before I get any distance. Yeah, they're fun. I love hunting them. I just wish the season was longer. I that I wish the season was either longer or in Wisconsin they would put a split in the southern zone or start the southern zone later because it seems like historically every year, and I've been chasing yeah. woodcock now for over 10 years. It's like a really big passion of mine, especially down here when I can't go up north for grouse. Um, I wish that it's always the best the last week. I wish that we either started i wish we started two weeks later down south right. is what i really wish yeah that would be perfect because the first four weeks really are nothing and then your last two weeks is when it's going on agreed unfortunately that's the way it is and i'm sure if there was probably more woodcock hunters we probably could have more of a voice and maybe get that season changed slightly i've thought about talking to our conservation congress about that because that's how that would get changed I just haven't made it through and followed up with that, which is on me. Well, and you're busy chasing ducks too at the same time. So you have other, you know, and pheasants, I mean, those open up. So there's always, I mean, there's so much going on at that time. You have bow hunting, you have duck right. hunting, you have some of the best fall walleye fishing. Like there's, pick your poison. There's tons of it. Yeah, that is a problem in fall. Like, that's why I'm not a huge bow hunter. That's why I don't do a lot of archery hunting just from the fact I'd rather be out chasing birds. Like mm -hmm. October, I spent two and a half weeks of October up North last year, which is four hours for me ish, three and a half hours, two and a half weeks straight, almost up there. And then I went up for some day trips as well on the weekends. And pretty much all of October was gone in a blink of an eye chasing grouse. And mm -hmm. now I'm into November. So it's like, well, let's get the last bit of the woodcock season. And now we're talking deer hunting already, basically. It's like, 
I never even got a chance to barely hunt duck. I mean, I did more duck hunting in the during gun deer season because <laughs> I was lucky mm-hmm. enough to take my deer the opening weekend. And then that whole next week and through December is when I did most of my duck hunting. Yeah. Shout out to the spouses who put up with it all because <laughs> it's um it's definitely a challenge being married to Wisconsin avid hunters and fisher people. Yeah, thankfully my wife is understanding. Um, she knows she's just not going to see me very much in fall. Come winter, oh. I think that's part of the reason why I tone ice fishing back. And I do a lot of cross-country skiing with her, which you know. But yeah. I think I kind of really, especially this year, I realized like I need to spend some more quality time with her after her, she doesn't see me pretty much for two months straight. So I kind of put that ice fishing a little on the back burner and did far more cross-country skiing as a way to kind of make it up, I guess you could say. Yeah. That's that's a smart young man right there. <laughs> well, let's talk. We're just going to keep rolling right through the seasons. Now we're going to go to ice fishing because, well, Wait. I haven't talked much about ice fishing. Oh, what do you got? Well, wait, we do have to, I have to share this with, with okay. our friends out here that this year is like the first year I hunted absolutely alone for deer hunting. Um, because, you know, I've gotten all this wisdom from Brad over here. I'm, I'm so not in, that smart. I'm so independent. So <laughs> I decided I am going to go out deer hunting by myself this year. Um. And they needed to get out of the house because my spouse had COVID and I was like, okay, well, either be quarantined or get out. Sure. So I finally got my first deer all by myself. Um, and of course, Brad was like, well, if you need help, just call me. And I didn't because I was kind of hell bent on doing this all by myself. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can, I can get this thing out. No big deal. Um, and actually, gutting the deer out was super easy. I didn't mind it at all. Plus, my hands were cold by the time I shot it. So this is kind of gross. But, you know, the cavity of them is really warm. Well, yeah, they're a warm-blooded mammal. So, um, but the mile the mile and a half hike out dragging the deer, it's, it's, next time I'll bring a sled. That'll warm you up real fast too. I mean, how, I mean, by the time you're walking out, were you like basically in your underwear? Cause like I'd have like half my clothes off by that point and I'd just be huffing and puffing like, hey, why is it so hot outside? Yeah. I'm like dragging that through plowed cornfields. It's just, um, yeah, it's like when you go fishing and you don't bring a net, you always get the big fish. Sure. Just like when you go hunting and you don't bring a stupid sled with you, that's when you finally shoot a deer. <laughs> right. Um, but I was, it was just a nubby. Everybody was not the giant. I'm actually really glad it was just a nubby because gosh, if that thing was 200 pounds, I don't know what I would have done. So that that's, that's where you call for help and help drag out deer. Yeah. So I was pretty proud of that and I'm going to brag about it because it's kind of, no, that's know. awesome. That's, that definitely deserves to be bragged about. Um, cause you, I mean, that was a hundred percent on you. Like mm-hmm. you picked, you found the property, which was public land. No one told you about it. You scouted the property yourself. Mm-hmm. You picked where you were going to hunt and you hunted it solo. I mean, there, there, no one helped you in this one. You had some tips along the way of like, here's what I would look for. Here's what, but at, at the end of the day, no one walked that property with you. You did it yourself, which is huge. 
me and my love with my Remington slug slug <laughs> barrel. <laughs> I did go look at uh, rifles today, actually, and over the weekend, though. Oh, you're going to make the jump, aren't you? Are you even going to go back to a scope? I think I'm going to have to use a scope because I have to admit, as I get older, my eyesight gets a little worse. Yeah, scope definitely makes things easier. There's no doubt about that. I'll give you credit for hunting all these years with a slug gun and ghost rings. Like, ouch. Like, I helped you sight that thing in and ouch. Well, the ghost rings are coming off. We're going back to the regular open sights. Um, yeah, those those are only meant for certain types of guns. That's for sure. Yeah, you're not yeah. a fan of those, huh? To be honest with you, with the ammo shortage the way it is, I really don't want to be trying to sight a slug gun in with with those kind of ghost sights. It's just sure, you know, rifle or sabots are expensive, you know. They are. They are. And these are already four, three, four bucks a shell. Now they're probably eight. Yeah, that is one thing. With I mean, at least once you get it sighted in, you don't have to touch it. I mean, granted, you should shoot it. I'm a big fan of saying like shooting your gun every fall to make sure it is sighted in. I think it's an ethical thing to do. Um, but at least you don't have to take many shots once it's sighted in, unless you dropped your gun or something like that. But still, I mean, four dollars a round is a, quite a bit of money when you're spending 20 bucks for a box of five and i can spend 30 for a box of 20. it also makes it hard for you to want to go out and practice throughout the year to hone those skills to get yourself to become a better shot when it's it's kind of cost prohibitive now granted throughout the rest of the year you could shoot like a 22 rifle or something along those lines just to help work on your skills yeah. But that doesn't necessarily fully simulate shooting your actual deer rifle. Yeah. I What I'm looking forward to seeing is, um, well, I don't know when I'll see it because of all the ammo stuff going on. But just to see how different shells work, because I'll tell you in that Remington, it's got a favorite, you know. Sure. And I, I do believe rifles are similar but i don't know if it's that big of a drastic change or not but with the slug gun it definitely is you definitely can find like i found a, a, a hornady round that my 30 odd six really really likes i'm granted nothing was that bad i mean this round here if i do my part i'll shoot an inch at 100 i mean it'll probably do better if i put it in like i'm just not that good of a shot like i can't do better than that the rifle can i'm sure i can't personally um when i get three of them to touch even if they're a big clover but they're just all kind of touching i get all excited because i just don't put that much time in behind a scope to really hone those skills but i know at 100 yards i'm 100 confident in my shooting ability but i mean i i did try a handful of different brands in my rifle and found one that i liked the best yeah well I'm going to be happy to just even get any cartridges at this point. So we'll see. <laughs> that is true. You probably should start looking now about the I'm only not, thing I can I'm find. The, about the only thing I can find easily right now is 450 Bushmaster. That's about <laughs> it. Well, I was at the store the other day and I actually found some three and a half inch 12 gauge turkey shot. Mind you. My 12 gauge only takes two and three quarter inch, but I knew somebody I knew somewhere was going to need some turkey shot this year. So I, I picked it up because it's just, it's impossible to get anything right now. Sure. So, but I mean, worst case, I use the 12 gauge again. It's not that big of a deal, but. 
Right. You can. I mean, if I'm hoping as COVID starts to settle down and people relax a little bit, I'm hoping that ammo shortage that we can, I mean, I know primers are a big issue right now and I'm hoping it'll start to relax a little bit, especially before next fall. I'm, I'm, I have faith that it will. What's crazy is even trap loads you can't find. It's because of the primer shortage. They have a primer shortage right now because I have a friend that just picked up a new muzzle loader that uses 209 primers for the firing and, and he can't find primers for that even. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm kind of glad I have a crossbow at least. Worst case scenario, I have a crossbow to use. <laughs> right. Well, absolutely. I mean, I know I know people that hunt with a crossbow during firearm deer. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my stands that I sit in, um, they're the, my bow stands. So yeah. I could easily use a, my crossbow because I'm also a crossbow hunter. Um, I do that for many reasons. One, it's easy. To um, I'd rather chase birds and don't want to put the time in with actually practicing with a bow real often. I've talked about this before. Um, I do plan on picking up a recurve before fall, though. I really do want to see if I can't, especially after talking with Johnny on the podcast. He was the opening podcast with Three Rivers Archery. Um, I really want to get a, a, a recurve. I want it for bow fishing this summer. But sure. then I also want to sweat switched up to, and if I get the right deer situation and deer stand where I feel like I'm going to have that 10 to 15 yard shot where I truly feel like I can take it comfortably at those ranges, then I, I would love to get one with a recurve. I mean, I'm not so dead set on a crossbow where it's like, that's got to be the only way. I mean, or, and I have nothing against using my crossbow. I shot my first buck with it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's just some, it's just a different experience. It's a, that's and that's really what I'm in the woods for is for an experience. So I know we got to get on the ice fishing, but this is kind of oh, we funny. don't have to. We can bring you can. We, there's no rush. We can come back for a different episode for ice fishing. We're on well, a roll. I'm just laughing because this fall I was out hunting on a pretty miserable day. It was like November 15th, actually. And I had always bow hunted with a compound bow. This is my first year ever using a crossbow. And mind you, I haven't probably bow hunted in like 15 years either. So I'm doing like this silent stock stuff, mostly because I was cold and I was just bored. So I was like, oh, I'm going to kind of walk around. Damned if I don't come across probably one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> 35 yards away from me. And I kind of freaked out. I it's almost like I forgot I had a crossbow sure. um, and I got down on all fours and was like trying to hide and get behind a tree and all this. And by the time I did all that, I couldn't find where it went. Um, but honestly, I probably had a shot at it with a crossbow, but I was so not used to having something that can shoot out that far that I totally never took it. See, I'm kind of unique in my crossbow thoughts too, though. Like, I could comfortably shoot my compound to 35, four. I practiced at 40 yards and I would be more than, I was more than comfortable if I had an open shot to get a deer at 40 yards with my compound. Mm -hmm. I really use that same philosophy with my, with my crossbow. If I don't like shooting out into a field where I know like everything's wide open, I would take a 40 yard shot in the woods. Mm -hmm. I won't push 25. Cause you just, there's so many, I mean, even with the speeds and weights of bolts and a crossbow, it still doesn't take much of a twig to deflect that arrow and make a good shot, go to a bad shot really fast. Yeah. Well, and you know, you're, 
I I know I did the right thing, but then I'm thinking like this is the biggest buck I've ever seen. Sure. Like, I could have had a poke at it, but you know, wishful thinking like, oh, he's not going to see me and maybe he's going to come right to me. You never know. Right. Did you try calling at him? I'd have called oh, at him. In fact, I ended up being in between two good sized bucks. I know that because I could hear the other one behind me, but I never did get to see it. Um, but the one that I was looking at or had seen before I got down on all fours was, it was a 180. So you're hunting public land, mm -hmm. land you found yourself, and you find yourself stuck between a 180-inch buck and another buck. You don't even know how big it is. Yeah. You got to be proud of that. I mean, even if you, I mean, even if you didn't get to take one of those bucks, which you didn't, I mean, you were scouted the land and you figured out where they wanted to be. And you were right there, just not right at the necessarily the right time. Yeah, it definitely made me get back out there. Sure. And it was fun. And I mean, in, in this public land, it's a it's just unique because there's people around it all the time. But that's how these big city bucks are. You know, they're used to people. Right. I mean, um, you you are you I'm not gonna give anything away because this goes right. great, but I mean you are hunting outside of a metro area. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about it. I mean, so, I mean, it's a very unique situation that you, you're hunting for sure. Well, I know it was because that was the only hunter I saw, you know, and I was, I was so sure the day I was going there, there was going to be 20 other guys there. Sure. You know, but I think that's the thing. People get annoyed with other people being around or people walking or doing whatever. And, you know, sometimes the, the deer are there regardless. And if they're used to people, then I'm just going to blend in that much better. I mean, you definitely get, I mean, that's such a huge advantage for that property you're hunting is you have to worry far less about scent control. I mean, even where I hunt, there's quite a few people around um, where it's still a concern, but it's not as much of a concern. Like when I go up North, like when we used to hunt the big woods, we would hunt horses. We would hunt things that like you wouldn't see footprints in. I mean, the last footprints you might see have been from a year ago that were years. Like people just don't walk through there with any consistency. And I really feel like in those woods and in, in those deep, dark woods, like where you don't have that human population, mm -hmm. scent is such a huge factor. Whereas like for you, I mean, at that point, you're like, do you even worry at all about it? <laughs> <laughs> not really i mean it's i had a deer almost run me over out there that's how i mean and that's kind of cool because i really suck at scent control like i'm i remember being a kid and hunting with a family friend he was taking me out to the hayton swamp and if any of you know calumet manitowoc county this is like the cream of the crop when it comes to deer hunting um and i and this is where my story comes about why I hate swamps, Brad. <laughs> oh, um, yes. Just this, you know, like, let's go wade through this crap and get stuck up to our chest and and then not be able to touch anything to try and grab and get yourself out of there. So this guy was super nice family friend, but I mean, I love hunting, but there's only so much I can do. If, if my large butt is stuck in a swamp, mud hole i'm gonna grab something and i might get some scent on it folks right well 
I mean, this this comes back to like playing it because I've been trying to get you out duck hunting now for years because I think you would enjoy it. I really do. And you're like, nope, I ain't going in no swamp. Absolutely not. Like, wait, could I sink? Like, no. But then again, you'll be out there fly fishing in waders. Oh, but I've learned to check what kind of bottom it is. So like that creek in Lodi, yeah, that's not one to go in in waders. That's that's what you call a muck bottom. I, the first time I jumped in, first time using my waders ever, I go to jump in and, you know, just in the creek. Oh, all the way up to my chest. <laughs> I hate that feeling. You, we need to get you a waiting staff so you can just like walk forward like the true old school, like 12 foot long, like waiting staff where you can be like hard bottom, hard bottom, muck. Well, interestingly enough, you need those for mushroom hunting too, because same thing, going out, trying to cross a creek. And there's even like wooden planks across some of these creeks. But if you step before the plank thinking it's solid, sometimes you sink all the way up to your waist again. <laughs> So, oh, so, this, so do we like so like should we like make some sort of water wing for you that like goes around your waist to prevent you from sinking in muck? Like, do we need like a muck wing? Well, so here is the second rule besides the first year rule about making sure you know how to use your safety on a gun. The second rule is to probably not hunt and do all these activities without somebody with you. Um, it's just. I do all of this alone and it's, I'm fortunate, you know, knock on wood, but it's so much nicer when you have a friend to go along with you. Sure. Um, because I mean, I'm young, I'm agile and I have gotten myself in some predicaments that can be pretty scary. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot that can happen in the woods. I mean, there's a big thing that to be said about having the right safety training or the right um first aid experience like training and safety experience to make sure if something does happen you can get yourself out or treat a wound until help can arrive um there's a big safety factor to what we do in the woods hunting solo mushroom hunting solo which we were going to try to talk about tonight but uh we might have to have we might have to have a second episode with you i think i think this might be a part one of part two and we might do part two and we might just record that in a couple of weeks here right away that's an interesting lady with all her stories i know we, i mean we made it through fall of 2020 basically with a little intro of you and i really we we're going to talk mushroom hunting come in spring so we might have to save that for a whole nother episode yeah and then spring fishing as well, because you're an avid fisher woman. I know Kayak. it's hard to, hard to believe, folks, that fishing is actually my favorite hobby. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have spring. I mean, we got we got the walleyes run runs coming up. I'm going this weekend for sure. I mean, you're you should come too. You should break out break out that old town predator. We're gonna go chase some walleyes on the kayaks. Ooh, I don't have one of those fancy wetsuits. Well, that's that's okay. You should have a dry suit, not a wetsuit, but that's oh, technicality. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's just get your boat. Let's get your boat out. Your boat will be perfect out there. I know. I got to get that out of storage. It's getting to be that time. I mean, it's def it's definitely getting warm out, and we'll touch on mushroom hunting. I think we're gonna have to do a second episode, but I mean, you got to be getting excited for mushroom hunting coming up. Plus, you turkey hunt as well. Yeah, everything. You know, it's um. It's crazy, but I feel like everybody should have a passion in their life. Um, I found myself about 
four or five years ago, I was working 60 hours a week and I was not happy about it. Um, in fact, I stopped doing anything that I enjoyed doing. Um, so I think I'm making up for lost time in a way, but it's also just, it's my life now. And this is, I don't think it's selfish, but you know, I know what I like to do and I know what makes me happy and I'm a good person doing it. So I'm going to continue to do those things. Well, no, it's awesome. I mean, everyone needs to find that outlet to like help them relieve stress. I mean, that's a huge part for me. I can really feel it build like during winter when I can't get out into the outdoors and do, I mean, skiing, mm -hmm. it's great, but I mean, I can't, I don't get that same relief that I do being on my boat and focusing all, or my kayak and focusing all my energy into that next cast, into right. fishing, into breaking down a lake and really trying to like figure out what the fishing pattern is that day. And that's my sole focus mm -hmm. or come fall with the dog breaking down, like how are we going to attack this piece of cover? Where are the birds watching the dog work, trying to interpret her body language, um, trying to give us the best. And then yeah. also just, completely forgetting about everything and just living in that moment of listening to that bell ring, taking in the sights and the sounds of the trees. And especially like in the fall, you got that fall wind and you got, you got the leaves falling and they're crunching under your feet. I don't know. I mean, it's so easy for me to get lost in the woods in that moment in fall where it's like other times of the year, it's hard for me to find that same stress release. And it's funny is that a lot of the stories and the best memories don't have anything to do with harvesting any game. It's oh. just a, it's the best medicine. I, I'm not trying to preach this on the people, but it's just good for your soul. Right. Absolutely. I'm most of my memories that come to mind, you're right. They don't have there. It's not of a limit of this or a, the biggest deer here. I mean, yeah, there's always some memories there, but, I have far more memories doing deer drives or going out hunting like for birds or duck hunting. And it's not even the days that we had limits. It's the day I was on Horicon Marsh when it was a high of negative three and all of our decoys froze in the water. Like I think of it first duck story. That's the one that comes to my mind or the one time I wore my buddy's waders because mine had a hole in them only to find out the boots were completely cracked. And as I walked through the river, I, water was coming up. It's like they, they were worse than what mine were. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those are the stories that come to mind right away. Not the, oh, we saw a limit of ducks that day, which yeah. I've shot limit, plenty of limits before. But at the end, it, that's, that's not what it's about. Not for me. And I see that progression in a lot of hunters where, especially in waterfowling, where you get the younger hunters that just folk, not necessarily younger, but newer hunters to the sport where it's a lot of them feel like they need to get that limit. Like they had to prove something and, and they're probably proving something to themselves as just as much as the internet world nowadays where you need all those limits. But I think even I was that way where it was like, ah, oh, we got to get limits. We got to get limits, all this work, limits, limits, limits. And I think I was trying to prove to myself that I could do it, that I could yeah. hunt, that I could, I, I wasn't, an experienced and accomplished hunter where at the end, like looking back over the past 12 years now, all of that, all those limits have faded, but it's all those funny stories. It's all those ridiculous experiences that I've shared where like, when I think back, it's like, that's what mattered. All the trial and error leading up to that success is what really amounts to it all. Oh, I, right. And that, 
absolutely it's that learning and watching how you like um get through from point a to point b to point c like just look at you over since i've started hunting with you um you went from me helping you find a spot not even that first year i didn't really help you find a spot i kind of said you should just hunt here and you did i mean you had very little input where you're just kind of like well he said this looks like a good spot i should just hunt here and, and you did wind up shooting a buck there so a little pat on my own back then but then i mean you went from that three years ago to this year experience being pinned between two bucks with your crossbow on public land that no one helped you find to shooting your first buck solo from everything from start to finish i mean yeah. that is huge like you have to be proud of yourself for that like i'm proud of you for that like that is huge yeah it is it's exciting i am like i just it's fun you know it's fun to be able to think if you were ever in a situation and needed to provide for yourself that you could. Sure. I um, mean, and it's a healthy, clean food. I mean, like I know, I know on my deer, the only, I know exactly who touched it. Like I know exactly who processed it. I know I have my own meat. I know ex everyone, Oh, there's the little woodcock slayer. And I say little and small, like in little quotation marks. Cause he's a big boy. This is the real hunter right here. Mr. Gordy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're talking about me. I want to be in this. Well, is there anything else you, who do you want to think? We'll give this, we'll, we're going to have to do a second episode because we didn't get to talk spring. All we talked was a fall recap. So we're going to have to do a second episode and talk turkey hunting and spring and walleye. And and all that. Right. We're going to have to do another episode. So, I'll let you finish this off with whoever you want to thank, family, friends, any sponsors you have, anything like that. Let everyone know how they can find you on social media. Yeah. Well, as far as sponsors go, I don't have any for hunting, but for fishing, I I work with Mad Duck Ice Rods, and we'll talk about those on part two. But really, I just want to thank my mom and my grandma and my uncles for taking the time to nurture somebody and teach me how to hunt and you know providing that experience for me and and my friends like brad or my sister who will hunt with me i want to keep these memories going and i want to teach kids how to do it and get out there and enjoy this so everybody who's doing it continue to do it in a healthy manner and safe and don't wreck the environment and let's keep the traditions alive. Absolutely. It's all about those traditions. And and we'll touch base on episode two, which will be, what would that be? In two weeks from now, because we're just going to record this here shortly. And um, we're going to do our second episode. And I'll ask you my three favorite questions that I've been asking everyone on what some of those traditions you are and some other things about that. But I just want to thank everyone tonight for tuning in. We're going to do this as a two-part because we just have so much to talk about. So in two weeks from now, we'll air part two where we will focus on spring and we'll focus on you, morel mushroom hunting, because I know nothing about that. We'll talk turkey as well, and then we'll get into some fishing. So Sounds everyone, good. thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Finn. 
Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at paddle and fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at paddle and fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. 